This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Welcome. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast show with Andrea and Alice. Our community is made up of so many amazing and diverse groups of people, as are the programs on Joy 94.9. There is something for everyone. A Little Pot of Joy is where we highlight just some of these amazing programs. We would like to show our respect and acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, of elders past and present of the Kulin Nation, whose land we are broadcasting from. We are opening the evening with a podcast from Counterculture, Samuel James and the Husky Host. Samuel James is one of the most fascinating DJs in the Australian music scene right now. Marrying up big bass sounds with geography tones only cements further his brilliance as a musician. Dylan addresses rumours about Samuel James's records while trying to have a voice. This chat is one for the ages. And if you missed the show this week, podcasts are available for download from the Joy website, joy.org.au forward slash countercultured. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. Hey, you're listening to Countercultured. It is the home for your party vibes on a Saturday night. And tonight I have got a man before me who is textbook definition of the word dude. This artist has been played in front of live crowds. The artist like Knife Party. A little DJ by the name of Afrojack, if you've heard of him before. Samuel James. Welcome back to Counterculture, Thanks man. for having me again, man. Finally in the studio this time. Yeah. Let's and see time, where you do your thing. Yeah, this time I've, uh, I've still been living and breathing the party culture. So my, <laughs> my voice didn't know no chill. Um, look, when someone says Samuel James, most people think, oh, the superstar big room DJ from Melbourne. Like, you've pretty much lived in recording studios from your teen years, man. Like, this has been an ongoing process for you. Does it ever feel like it's a dream? Yeah, well, I mean, to be able to do what you love as a living, I guess that's everyone's dream. And I've been doing it for a long time now, and I'm very thankful that I'm still able to do it and be successful at it. So I can't really complain right now. <laughs> Life's pretty good, I guess. No, absolutely. And look, I, I just want to touch on your these records you've been releasing this year. Uh, last time we spoke was when that beast of a collab with JDG came out yeah. in Mumbai. Um, and then now there's Sahara, your latest record, yeah. which is you know, kicking up in the uh, RA Club charts. These soundscapes that you're playing with are so so interesting and just so culturally in sync as yeah. well where are you getting these samples from are you just watching sbs up late and like, <laughs> cool i'm gonna make number one out of this like how how is the process working for i don't you? know it, it was it was actually really weird like everyone's asking me now that i've done kind of two destination tracks everyone's like oh what's gonna be the third one are you gonna keep doing it but like it never meant to be like that because i was working on sahara myself and jordan had the idea for mumbai and he had already named it mumbai so that's how the two names kind of came out. Like, I didn't plan for it to be two destinations. That's just how it happened because Jordan also named it Mumbai. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I've just been trying to write different stuff and, you know, I think that's why they've kind of caught on so well is because I think they sound pretty fresh and it's, it's different to what everyone else in Melbourne is doing. It's, it's you know, a bit ethnic, it's a bit trancy, it's a bit big room, it's a bit bounce. It's, I think it's not... Um saturated that's what yeah it is. I think, yeah that's probably it but um 
yeah, I can't really complain. Like the the feedback on both of them has been amazing, especially Mumbai. Obviously, like it's got all the all the support from the big DJs, and Sahara is getting there now as well, number four in the Arias. So, yeah, you can't sneeze at that. Yeah, that I know. Really stretches imagination. But I mean, number four seems to be the mark. I just can't get past it. So hopefully, the next one I'll go a few steps further. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, because I've heard all kinds of crazy rumors about the um, you know Mumbai and then uh, with Sahara that this was a secret tour. That, that, that's what I've that's what I've heard on the streets. <laughs> you've got a tour planned, and these are locations. That was a rumor, and we need to either confirm or deny this. Oh, account. I can't confirm anything just yet. But I mean, it's cool that there's like conspiracies out there. You know, everyone thinks I'm some mastermind, just dropping little hints in my in my singles. But it's not the case, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, cool. It doesn't go that deep. All right, well, I was like, okay, cool, maybe this is plausible. And <laughs> scratch out the next couple of questions. Um, I want to talk to you about one of your mates, Will Sparks, who you know, you helped Will uh, in his stage, like his uh, formulation and taking him under your wing. Mm. Um, and how, what did he say on radio? He quoted you as the world's biggest DJ in the world. And <laughs> now you're working with Jordan, JDG, as we were talking about before. Um, you really are living the life. I mean, you got to hang around like with your closest mates, and now you guys are in this like pool with yourselves, and just collaborating. Like, you're living the kind of world that most people would dream of. That yeah. most people like strive. Hundred percent. Obviously, it didn't start off that way. Yeah. It didn't start off with you guys kicking goals yeah. straight from the off. Yeah. What do you have to say in terms of people who are just before getting to the big deal? You just got to stick at it. Like there's been so many times, you know, where, you know, obviously everything wasn't going like my way or my mate's way. And, and we just kind of stuck through it. And you've, I think you've, it's really important to get a, a solid crew around you that, you know, you trust their feedback and you trust, you know, where they want to go in their careers as well. So I think having a solid crew around you, like an, not an entourage, but, you know, like squad, a squad. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but people that you trust, because a lot of people are going to, you know, if, if you show your music to some people, they might just be like, oh, it's sick, it's sick. But, you know, you want honest feedback and, and that's the kind of people you need around you. And so it's it's a, te- it's a team effort and I think, yeah, you just got to stick at it. Like I've, there's been a lot of times where I've been like, oh, it's just not working out. It's just not working out. And you stick through it. Even, even with music, Sahara, I think it's version 15 that ended up getting released, like, Right. So it's with everything. You just got to stick through it, push through it, and you know you'll eventually get there. I want to talk to you about your because I never actually asked you this question before. How you come up with your samples and, and your records? Do you play around with different filters? Do you sit around and jam? Um, how does it all come together? Like, do you write with sheet music? It's it's almost different every time. Like with Sahara, oh, I can't even remember how I started that. It was it was the main kind of guitar plucky riff thing. Yeah. And then um, I built the entire track around that, and um, it, w- it was a really good time as well because I was just coming out of like writer's block. I had it for about two months, and er- everything just wasn't working. And then this track kind of came along, and everything kind of flowed, even though it was a long process in the end, and it took me about two months to get the final product. Um, yeah, but that's how I normally start. Or well, there's times where, like, say, Jordan sends me the original idea for Mumbai, and straight away I know what I want to do with it, and... You know, I think he's told you before we finished it in a day. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like under 10 hours. Yeah. So like yeah. every every time it's different. Like sometimes I'll just be out and, you know, something from a radio track clicks in my mind and I'm like, oh, well, I want to I try this as soon as I get home. And then from there I can write a track or sometimes it just takes a lot of hard work and perseverance <laughs> and pushing through all the writer's block and all, all the crappy ideas and then you finally get somewhere, hopefully. 
Do you ever like have go through a track and maybe this happened with Sahara, um, where you know you've you've gone through it and you just put another filter on it and you change up another thing and then you're kind of looking at these squiggles on the screen. And you're like, <laughs> what have I done? Yeah, I, my my projects are like notoriously messy. Um, there's just ideas like all over the place. I have things turned on, like turned off, and all this all this crap everywhere. And then once I get the main core of it, then I go back. I try and neaten everything up, and then. So it's not such a mess and there's a bit of, I don't know, neatness to it, I suppose. But I don't know. It's it's My sessions are pretty bad. When other people come and work with me, they're like, how do you even work like this? I don't I think, like, to be like most artists that I know, cohesion is not something yeah. that works. <laughs> I mean, because, like, artists are people that, you know, you wake up in the, and you will write something down because it's woken you up in the night. You're like, oh, cool, yeah. that. That'll work really well. And then three days later, you're going to find that piece of paper and go, what yeah. the hell was yeah. that? That's like me. I, I use voice recordings on my phone. And at the time, I'm like, yeah, this is mad. And then I'll listen back to it. I'm like, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> kind of like when you go through your video footage at a show. Yeah. Like, um, why did I want to take a video of the speaker with distortion? Yeah, I, know, I can't yeah. hear it. <laughs> um, now, look, sadly, we are out of time for this chat, though. But, Sammy James, thank you so It's always such a pleasure with you coming nah, into the No, thanks studios. for having me again, man. It's all, like, what I tell everybody when I have a chat with Samuel James is that it's one of the most interesting interviews I have because, you know, you just have so much experience in the game. But tonight, you're here as our special guest feature DJ. Again, <laughs> much, much appreciation coming into the studio, man. What can you tell us about this set we're going to air? Uh, it's It's got, obviously, uh, Mumbai and Sahara in there, all the new stuff, and... It's got a lot of cool little club edits and, and mashups that, you know, I've done and my mates have done. So it's a cool little mix, like half an hour of power. Sahara and Mumbai are out on One Love right now. And you can check Samuel James later on tonight at Empire. Um, is there anything you can tell them about your show later on tonight? Uh, it's, it's, it's my local. So all of my mates will be there. We'll be partying pretty hard because I can just stumble home at the end <laughs> of the day. <laughs> you got your squad with you. It's fine. Exactly. You're on Countercultured, Samuel James. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, man. You're on Joy 94.9, and this is A Little Pot of Joy with Andrea and Alice. From On the Line, Love is in the Air, speeches from the Equal Love Rally. At the conclusion of last week's Equal Love Rally, which saw 5,000 people march through the streets of Melbourne in support of marriage equality, Dean Beck captured the speeches exclusively for Joy 94.9. Dean shares the speeches from two young women who profess their love on the steps of the old Treasury building, leader of the Australian Equality Party, Jason Toison McShane, and Ali Hogg, who heads the Equal Love Rally. If you can't listen to the show live, download the podcast from the Joy website, joy.org.au, or from the iTunes store. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. This is, without a doubt, Australia's biggest rally for gay rights. This is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Okay, uh, we have some uh, special guests with us who would like to share their story. They did have a ceremony last year. However, the current government said he doesn't want to recognise it. To find out how that impacts on people, we have a couple here, Claire and Steph. Please put your hands together. 
afternoon. May I please start by saying what an honour it is to be here today. To have been thought of and asked, we are beyond grateful and truly humbled. Thank you to all of the wonderful people who have made this possible. You are fighting a damn good fight and we are forever thankful. My name is Steph and this is my wife, Claire. I say it like that because we had a wedding in Melbourne on the 15th of November 2014 and under the eyes of the law we are domestic partners and even that is only in the states that recognise it. We are like any other young couple madly in love. We can't speak more highly of one another. We are best friends. We have hopes for the future, ambition in our home and work lives and can't wait to start a family. We come from... We come from average, wonderful, loving, supporting homes and that's exactly what we want to emulate. We are like any other couple in a committed relationship. We joke, we laugh, we cry and we argue. We have roles in our household. I am the money planning for the boss, future boss and Claire is the organising the house, making sure everything is colour-coded boss. We have bills to pay, jobs to uphold and have to plan what are we are going to have for dinner every night. We are just like any other couple. There is nothing extraordinary about us. We are average and we are very happy that way. The only thing that is different about us is that everyone else has a say in whether or not we can be legally married in our home country. A place that we love and are grateful for in front of our families, friends and loved ones. We cannot choose this for ourselves. Claire and I had been friends for many years. We fell in love, were accepted by our nearest and dearest, grew together, got engaged and then got domestic partnershiped. Not our idea of the perfect beginning to our amazing love story. Marriage equality is all about choice. This really is the clincher. If you don't want to get married, whether you are a heterosexual or in a same-sex relationship, then don't. That's fine. This is your choice. You are allowed to make that decision for yourself. But if you do want to get married, then the choice to do so is where the power lies. As a heterosexual couple, you choose who, when, where and how you'll get married. As a same-sex couple, we have no choice, no rights to legally wed in Australia. It is not a choice to fall in love, nor is it a choice to be gay. It just is. But there most certainly should be a choice to marry the one you love in the way you want to. We want the choice to be married at home. We want the choice to be able to proudly say, this is my wife, without people pulling funny faces, wondering how it was possible in our country, then asking if we did it overseas. We want the choice to be able to wholeheartedly say, yes, we have all the same rights as you do, and we want to be able to raise our children in a family where their parents are married. The only choice Claire and I had was to say, stuff you, hold our heads high and do things our own way, backed by those who matter most to us. But in so many ways, this was not enough and will continue to not be enough until equality is achieved. 
Saying yes to marriage equality does so much more than give us a piece of paper. It tells us all, once and for all, that we are perfect just the way we are. <laughs> it tells our children to come that they are special and lucky to be in an average loving family. It tells our future generations that they are accepted and valued and are allowed to be who they want to be. It is a step in the right direction to reduce homophobia, reduce stigma, reduce mental illness in our, computer, in our community and to be a safer, happier, more equal world. <laughs> marriage equality is not out to ruin the sanctity of marriage. It's there to enhance and enrich in it so that everyone has the opportunity to choose to marry the one they are committed to and love with every fibre of their being. It is not bad or wrong, it is special and sacred and a right, a choice that should be afforded to all. We speak of how difficult it would be to change the Marriage Act, but as this weekend marks 11 years since Between a Man and a Woman was added to this document, we are reminded that that, act, that argument does not fly and it is ridiculous to even suggest such a thing. It had not been there in those documents since the start of time. It was added in our lifetime. Disgusting, right? <laughs> Definitions of words, people, things grow and change with the development of the modern world. This should too. It really is such a simple concept. It does not disrespect the history of marriage. It just says, we see what you did there. We understand it, but we'd really like to do it this way now. It is growth, it is change, it is simple, it is the way of the modern world. My name is Steph and this is my stunning wife, Claire. And we, <laughs> and we call for you to see us as any other average loved up couple at the beginning of their life together, asking you to put yourselves in our shoes. Who gets to make your big life choices? Are you? Well, aren't you lucky? Please let us choose too. This is about equality. It's about love. It's about choice. We can do this. I'm really delighted to announce our celebrant today, Jason Twazen McShane. I never dreamed that in 2003 when I stood at Midsummer Carnival and married 17 couples that day, that it would merge into midwinter and midsummer vows and then some 12 years later we're standing here, 5,000 of us, cheering on what needs to change for us here in Australia. But I'm also depressed because myself and my husband and another couple who are here today, we asked the family court back in 2004 to validate our Canadian marriages and the Howard government. One week before the court was to hear the case changed the law and here we are 11 years later still struggling with the after effects of that. So I apologise for being partly responsible for that. Two years ago, after the last election, some friends and I were sitting around and we were a little bit depressed thinking that nothing was going to happen federally for the advancement of LGBTI persons. And I said to my friends, I think we need an independent voice that speaks for the LGBTI community that's centrist inside the federal parliament. They laughed at me 
But 18 months later, the Australian Equality Party is formed. It's almost one year old. And next year, now I know at the start of this rally, we've heard every party stand up there and say what they think. But next year, you have a chance to vote for every which one of them you want to govern the country. And then in the Senate, you can vote for me as part of the Australian Equality Party and have an independent voice that will speak for us. And I think it's about time. Have you looked around? There are no enemies out there today protesting what we're doing. You know why? They're in the government. They're in the government's ears and the opposition's ears telling their stories and making sure that our Prime Minister comes out and says last week that if you're on the side of man and woman marriage, the coalition is on your side. Well, I say, if you're on the side of equal love and marriage equality, the Australian Equality Party is on your side. I'm worried that they'll win again next year. And I'm not anti-liberal, but this government has made it very clear how they stand in regards to my family. And I'm worried they're going to make it really confusing and really difficult and really drawn out that in four years' time we'll still be here doing the same thing. So what we have to do between now and the next election is go to our elected members who are anti-equality and meet with them and tell them our stories. And we must go to our families and friends and do the same. And then next year, we must vote for us, vote for the Australian Equality Party and make a change. Ali Hogg is the convener of Equal Love here in Melbourne. Ali, uh, are you calling this the biggest one ever? Yeah, we're definitely calling it the biggest one ever. We were marching down Collins Street. We just marched from Swanson Street to Burke down um, Exhibition and then to Collins. And there were still people leaving the State Library when we got to Collins. So we've never had a rally this big in Melbourne, if not around the country. So we're ecstatic. The uh, happenings this week in Federal Parliament have fed into this rally perfectly. Um, I'd be surprised if it wasn't the biggest ever, considering what happened this week. What is this going to mean in the next uh, 12 months as we head towards that federal election, as far as you're concerned? Well, it looks like anything can happen between now and the next election. Who would have thought this would be the issue that has divided many in the Liberal Party? Um, so it looks like Abbott's raised, raised several things. He knows that people were pretty pissed off about um, what he did his bullying tactics in the Liberal Party to not let them have a conscience vote. So any, I think that we, he's suggested having a plebiscite. Most people are really angry about this. They can see it as a delaying tactic. But I think that the joke will be on him if we have a plebiscite. And we know the majority of people have voted on this. We know the majority of people support it. And I think it could be something that can win. But ultimately, I think we want to keep demanding that we want marriage equality now. We want them to put the vote now. We want them to vote on it now. And we want them to pass it. The uh, hard left wing socialist element doesn't seem to be as strong here today. Is there a reason for that? Um, I think it was probably just harder to spot them amongst all of the other people. They might have blended in the, the crowd a bit. But I did see a few socialist flags and, and whatever. But I think this was a rally that reflected a really broad range of people and it really shows that the, the, the majority of people support this and I think today's rally reflected that like, broad range of support that we have. Ali Hogg, thank you very much for joining us on Joy. No worries, thanks so much. You're on Joy 94.9 and this is a little pot of joy with Andrea and Alice. Up next from Second Breakfast, 
Gaby Baby, Maya Newell. Sonia Hammer speaks exclusively to Gaby Baby's director, Maya Newell, about the sudden and alarming banning of her same-sex family's documentary film called Gaby Baby. I'm sure you've heard about it at this point. From a planned screening at a New South Wales girls high school by the New South Wales education minister, Adrian Pickley. So find out what happens, what Maya thinks and how this affects children of same-sex families. If you can't listen to the show live, download the podcast from the Joy website, joy.org.au or the iTunes store. This is A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. This is your second breakfast on Joy 94.9 with Sonia. And of course, this morning, there's so much interesting news going on out there to do with a certain film that's now being well been called the gay film that gets banned in New South Wales. I have on the line this morning, I've got Maya Newell, the director of A Gaby Baby, and I want to welcome her this morning to the show. Hi. Hi. So good to talk to you. A lot, a lot of things going on. Just for our listeners who don't know what Gaby Baby is about, I mean, they should do really, but anyway, can you tell us just briefly what the synopsis of the film is? Sure. So um, the film follows the lives of four 11-year-old kids, Gus, Graham, Matt and Ebony, um, who are all kind of, I suppose, um, traversing oncoming puberty um, as the world around them is discussing marriage equality and whether they're at risk. Um, Mm. But I think more than anything, you know, it's a film about parenting and about growing up and about what it is to be in a family, whoever you are. Yes, I mean, that's... You know, it's an important thing for our community, uh, for our listeners and advocates and supporters and everything. Um, and to know that yesterday, it was yesterday, wasn't it, the uh, yeah. actual involvement of the New South Wales Ministry itself, of Education, um, has been involved in having it pulled from from one of the high schools there. And it looks like it's it's spreading as far as they're now talking more schools will not be able to ever play it either yeah mm. and look i think you know the context for this is that um so we've been making this film for about five years and we could have never imagined that we you know we're releasing at a time our country was literally debating same-sex parenting and, and children in these families and we decided that we felt we made this film about young people for young people and we wanted to give it to students all over australia first so we literally decided to screen the film to school students before we went into cinemas on September 3rd. And so We're at Purple Day is a national student-led initiative, which is all about letting kids know that, you know, whoever they are, they belong and their learning should be a safe environment. You know, that's sort of pretty cool it, that it, it promotes anti-homophobia. And so we just thought Gaby Baby would be the best, you know, a really great film for everyone to sit around and watch on that day to acknowledge that there's different family structures that exist out there. You know, when I was at school, we didn't we didn't learn about any other family other than mum, dad, and two point two kids. And I think mm-hmm. it's pretty exciting that we have an opportunity to you know talk about what real Australian families look like. Anyway, so uh, yeah, we had a pretty big day yesterday, and I'm you know very disappointed that we won't be able to screen the film in many of the schools that had signed up and were very excited to screen it. Yeah, I think the thing that is disturbing is uh, The Guardian Online did a little bit of an investigation. You may have seen that article from last night saying that as far as they're aware, there weren't any parents complaining about the film being shown at um, the New South Wales School, the Burwood Girls High School. Apparently there are no complaints from parents at all. That may have been a beat up. How does that make you Yeah, I'm not entirely sure of what, you know, really sort of happened but I definitely know that the local Presbyterian church somehow 
found out that the screening was happening and, and made it quite large. Uh, anyone who watched the project last night would have seen him battling it with Anna, Alex Greenwich, MP. Mm. And, yeah, I mean, it's one of the girls actually at Burwood said it really beautifully. She said, we've got, you know, four or five religious seminars a year that we're taking out of class for, for you know, Christianity. Can't we really just have an hour and a half of talking about different family structures? Anyway, I also went to Bellwood Girls, so part of the reason my mum chose to send me there was because they had really wonderful, inclusive policies around LGBTI students, and she felt that it was a safe learning environment for me to be in, having two mums myself. Yes, yeah, that's your experience so, as a gay bee, baby yourself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and how beautiful to go back to your mm. old school and, and talk to students who are growing up now. So yeah, I mean, it's sort of disappointing, isn't it? Yeah, I can understand how you must feel. What happens to the film now? Are you aware of whether this will change in New South Wales or if Mr. Adrian Piccoli will lift this so-called ban, you know? Seems a bit Um, Mm. Look, I think it's probably unlikely that he does. I'm planning on talking to him today and offering him a screening of the film anyway because I think unfortunately lots of the people who are talking about this you know haven't actually seen the film Mm. Um, and I'd really like to give him the opportunity to watch it and you know make up his mind from an informed perspective. I think as well we were kind of hoping that maybe when we go to cinemas on September 3rd that we could maybe give a discount to um, New South Wales students who missed out on the screening which would be really a nice thing to that do. That would be cool. You know, we I think there are still a number of Melbourne-based schools that will be screening it outside of the New South Wales dead zone. So we'll be coming down to Melbourne to screen in a number of high schools down there on Friday and also for our sort of cinema release at Cinema Nova. Yes, that's September 3rd. I think the yeah. pages for that through Madman, yeah, um, films, which is excellent. Yeah, no. So this is the kind of, I guess, a promotion for a film you don't really want, but at the same time, it is actually giving it a wider exposure. Do you think that is uh, the case? This gave you Look, I think um, I think today I can potentially begin to see that. You know, I think in some ways we made this film because I really do believe that if people spend an hour and a half with these families and really get to know them, there is something that happens, you know, and, and that minds and hearts can be shifted to, you know, be more tolerant and accepting. And so I think that to get people to come and see it is great. And now if more people know about it, that's great. Mm. I think yesterday I was more concerned for the families in the film. They planted an image out of context from the film of Gus, who is, you know, one of the characters. He's, you know, it's 10 years old and Mm. he's, you know, putting on lipstick on the front cover of the, of the Telegraph with some pretty horrible text. And Mm. so we were just sort of making sure that the families in the film were okay. And, you know, those kids had to go to school yesterday along with all the other kids all over Australia who grew up, they were growing up with same-sex families and yet again having to see their families denigrated in this debate. How are they? So we were sort of problem-solving, you know, yesterday. Yeah. So how are they now? Is, is everything, you know, they understand why this is happening? Or yeah, everything's okay. And, and luckily the kids are older now. Mm. You know, they're six, 15 and 16. And, you know, to be honest, I think lots of kids in our families have to grow a pretty thick skin. Yep. in the current media climate, which, you know, potentially builds a whole generation of very resilient, same-sex parented children. But I don't think that they should have to do that. I think that's sad. 
Yeah, I agree with you there. Certainly uh, all power to the young ladies, the young women, the girls at Burwood as well, the high school. Hopefully that they will get a chance for it to be screened in their high school. I hope so too. Mm. And I think sometimes we think of school students as, you know, these sort of impressionable, you know, young people who don't really have you know, opinions of themselves and therefore they're very easily brainwashed by watching a documentary. And I think we need to give, this is sort of what the film is about, you know, I think Matt in the film says sometimes we need to, kids have better ideas than adults. And I think sometimes we don't acknowledge the agency and, you know, strong opinions and that young people have. And perhaps there's a larger conversation here about listening to the girls at Burwood. I'm sure that they can decide if they want to watch a documentary or not. And... Especially tomorrow. I mean, it's where Purple Day and Joy here, Joy 94.9, we celebrate that too and suggest people, um, yeah, just do that and think about, uh, you know, think about how we can be more visible in the community and support young people to, to make a stand or to be themselves and be comfortable with themselves because that's what we should be doing. And I wish you all the best of luck there, Amaya Newell, for Gaby Baby. I hope that we do see it in every single school around the world <laughs> <laughs> in the near future because it deserves to be seen. And it has been doing so well and critics love it and everyone seems to really be drawn to the film. So congratulations to you and your team. Thank you very much. Thank you. And take care and wear it purple tomorrow. Are you going to be wearing purple? Yep, I plan on hitting the local op shop and finding brilliant purple gown. I'm still going to go to Burwood and um, oh, cool. give, you know, like a presentation regardless of, you know, them screen, being able to screen the film. So I think it will be still a nice day to acknowledge what's all happened and thank all the students for their resilience through all of this. Good on them too. All right, thank you so much for speaking to us here on Joy 94.9 for your second breakfast. Thank you, Manuel. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to Joy 94.9 and this is A Little Pot of Joy with Andrea and Alice. Up next, a podcast from LA Spins. On this week's episode, Peter brings you up to date with a new theme park concept based on the hugely popular movie series Star Wars. Plus news on Prince, a new release expected from the U2 lads and Mel B gets vocal about the possibility of a 20-year Spice Girl reunion. I mean, that's exciting. And if you want to listen to the entire podcast, you can download it from the Joy website, joy.org.au forward slash LA Spins, or download it for free from the iTunes store. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. From Los Angeles, California to Joy 94.9, this is LA Spins, the weekly entertainment show on everything that's hot in LA and Hollywood. Now, here's your host, Peter Reynolds. Universal Pictures went all out this week for the premiere of the NWA biopic Straight Outta Compton. All four of the surviving band members, Dr. Dre, MC Ren, DJ Yella, and Ice Cube, went on stage in front of a packed crowd at the 7100-seat Microsoft Theater downtown. Afterward, at a party that drew Snoop Dogg, ASAP Rocky, Barry Gordy, The Game, Russell Simmons, Common, and Zayn Malik, formerly of One Direction, DJs gave a clinic in West Coast hip-hop while decorative lowriders with elaborate hydraulics were displayed around the venue. Security was very heavy for the event, probably the heaviest security ever seen at an event like this in LA. Universal wanted to make sure that partygoers would be safe during the festivities. Straight Outta Compton is now now showing in theaters. Megan Trainer just announced that the rest of her M Train tour has been cancelled following her second vocal cord hemorrhage of the summer. 
On Instagram, Trainer said she needs to get surgery to finally fix this once and for all, adding that she's devastated, scared, and so sorry. Trainer first postponed shows on her M-Train tour in early July when she suffered the first hemorrhage. Apparently, the All About That bass singer just triggered the same problem after suffering a bout of bronchitis. Singer Sam Smith had the same problem earlier this year, but he's recovering nicely. Megan, we wish you well. It's been over a month since we reported that actors Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner were getting divorced. Since then, there have been a swirl of rumors that Ben was sleeping with their nanny at their Beverly Hills mansion, and that's what's led to Jennifer wanting out of their marriage. The rumor that their nanny is pregnant is not true, for now. She's been seen around Beverly Hills on a shopping spree, and she's staying in one of the most expensive hotels in LA, the Hotel Bel Air. Hmm. How she's doing that on a nanny's wages is pretty remarkable. Days before Fantastic Four opened, director Josh Trank sent an email to some members of the cast and crew saying he was proud of the film, which he said was better than 99% of the comic book movies ever made. Well, the $122 million budgeted film opened to just $25.7 million in the U.S. and $34 million abroad, far below even the most cautious predictions here in Hollywood. But Trank, 31, could not resist tweeting on August the 6th, as the movie was just hitting theaters, that he had made, quote, a fantastic version of the film that audiences would probably never see, unquote. Though Trank quickly deleted the tweet, his public disavowal of the film at such a key moment enraged 20th Century Fox executives and stirred a pot that had begun to bubble when the director was dropped by Lucasfilm from a Star Wars standalone film at the end of April. Insiders revealed to us that one of the causes was his erratic behavior on Fantastic Four. So, now, Trank has hired Pitbull lawyer Marty Singer to advocate on his behalf. And now the blame game is underway. The first full trailer for Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight has been released, introducing the director's latest take on the law of the Wild West and the plight of one woman, Jennifer Jason Lee, headed to a hanging, unless someone can stop the supposedly unstoppable hangman, Kurt Russell. They call him the hangman. When the handbill says dead or alive, the rest of us just shoot you in the back and up on top of perch somewhere and bring you in dead over a saddle. But when John Roof the hangman catches you, you hang. Other members of the group of eight strangers include Samuel L. Jackson, Walton Goggins, Michael Madsen, Damian Bashir, Tim Roth, and Bruce Dern. The Hateful Eight is inspired by TV westerns like Bonanza and The High Chaparral. The movie will be released Christmas Day. Recently launched distributor Bleecker Street has released the first trailer for Brian Cranston's Trumbo, two and a half months before its November 6th launch in the U.S. The film is based on the true story of screenwriter Dalton Trumbo, who had been one of Hollywood's top screenwriters before he was forced to testify in front of the House Un-American Activities Committee back in 1947. When he refused to cooperate, he was sent to prison for 11 months. In the trailer, Cranston plays Trumbo as a chain smoker with ample reservoirs of sarcasm and resourcefulness. Many questions can be answered yes or no only by a moron or a slave, he tells the committee. In response to being blacklisted, Trumbo turned to ghostwriting scripts and was publicly credited in 1960 with Exodus, followed by Spartacus. 
Helen Mirren co-stars as Trumbo's nemesis, columnist Hedda Hopper. Elle Fanning, Diane Lane, John Goodman, Michael Stuhlbarg, and comedian Louis C.K. co-star in The Pick, directed by Jay Roach. Christopher Guest has signed a deal with Netflix for an exclusive release next year. The streaming service made the announcement for mascots this week through a flyer for a mascot competition that gave few details. Mascots appears to be in the style of guest mockumentaries. This is Spinal Tap, Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, A Mighty Wind, and For Your Consideration. Mascots follows the unusual men and women of the 8th World Mascot Association Championships competing for the prestigious Gold Fluffy Award. Guest often writes with SCTV alum Eugene Levy, and he's used the same actors, including another SCTV comedian, the great Catherine O'Hara. Also back with guests are Michael McKean, Parker Posey, Jane Lynch, and John Michael Higgins. Mascots will be Guest's first film since For Your Consideration in 2006. Wow, has it really been nine years? Welcome back, Christopher Guest. In this week's Kardashian news, Kim took another nude selfie showing her new baby bump, and there was an outcry from gossip columnist Perez Hilton for a media one-week boycott of all things Kardashian. Sounds good to me, but that wouldn't last a day. Hell, what am I talking about? It wouldn't last five minutes. The News Wrap-Up Apple is expected to announce its new streaming box next month, alongside new iPhones and iPads. Secretary of State John Kerry said he's very concerned about cybersecurity and assumes that China and Russia can read his emails. Angry Birds creator Rovio has plucked a sales executive from DreamWorks Animation in a renewed push to spread the game's wings as a franchise. Honest Company, the baby products retailer co-founded by movie star Jessica Alba, has raised $100 million in a new round of funding, valuing it at about $1.7 billion. And now, this week's number ones. The number one movie. Straight out of Compton, the NWA story opened with an impressive $56.1 million weekend. The number one album. The soundtrack from the film The Descendants is on top this week. The number one app. Minecraft Pocket Edition returns to the top spot once again. The number one fiction book. Alert by James Patterson and Michael Ledwidge is the new best-selling book. Jadena is a 30-year-old hip-hop R&B singer from Wisconsin. He's also a graduate of Stanford University here in California, which makes him a pretty articulate music artist. He even has a reference to classic crooner Nat King Cole in his new single. Here's the song of the week, Jadena, featuring Grammy winner Kendrick Lamar with Classic Man. I'm a classic man.
That was Jadena featuring Kendrick Lamar with the song of the week, Classic Man. And that's what's happening this week in L.A. and Hollywood. For L.A. Spins, I'm Peter Reynolds. So long from the City of Angels. You're listening to A Little Pot of Joy with Alice and Andrea. And we've come to the end of another evening. You can find more of the complete podcasts on the Joy website, www.joy.org.au, or download them for free from the iTunes store. You've been listening to A Little Pot of Joy, the podcast program. See joy.org.au and click on our podcast link to subscribe to your favorite podcasts free. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organization, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.